welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on May 1st, Lord's Day Service. Leviticus chapter 19, beginning in verse 26. Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 26. You shall eat nothing of the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Verse 31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Now go down to chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against the man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man, When he gives some of his descendants to Molech, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and will cut him off from his people, and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person, and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. And then going down to verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Or a man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come before your word, we pray that you would search us and know our hearts. Try us and know our ways. See if there be any wicked way in us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Outside of politics, few topics start discussions as much as that of magic. Modern books portray magic as purely fantasy, so outlandish that it is barely conceivable. The standards of what constitutes magic are always changing. Because we all know what was impossible two decades ago, we are now living in today. The prophets 
warn God's people consistently about the danger of a particular form of magic. That practiced by the pagans surrounding them. Today I will be using this word and a few others in ways that you may not expect. In our circles we can have a, a very clear dichotomy sometimes that says magic evil, not magic good. So if, if it would help, maybe turn the word magic into the term supernatural. We live in a supernatural world. Magic is inescapable. The question is, though, what magic will you rely on? One that seeks power and enslavement. The other that seeks dominion through submission to God. The term magic is not an easy one to define. The best definition after extensive searching that I, that I was able to, to put together is magic is seeking to change reality in accordance to one's will. Now, of course, that all depends on how you define reality and then whose will are you talking about. That's part of the point. The sorcery that's forbidden in Leviticus 19 and 20, things like enchantment, astrology, wizardry, and offering your children to Molech, were all common in ancient paganism. In a world where evil spirits dwelled in and among men, there was abundant power, all for the taking. We scoff at the prophets of Baal. You remember the story of the prophets of Baal with Elijah? We see they're on Mount Carmel, and, the, and these, these silly, dumb prophets are just walk, marching around this altar, and they're expecting fire to come down because we all know you march around your backyard around a, 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 a lot of kindling, and you expect fire to come down. It's not going to happen. So why would those priests expect that? It's a good question. Were they all just a bunch of fools who said, well, this has never happened before, but it's sure going to happen this time. Or maybe it had happened before. Have you ever read about something in ancient times that we don't see today? Why would we automatically assume it had never happened and they were just expecting this one time that it would? No, I think it's more likely that those types of things did happen. We have to be careful not to superimpose our modern lives onto Old Testament times. Wherever the gospel spreads, evil is more restricted. We live in a place that was settled by open Christians seeking to establish the kingdom of God. Do we have failures? Yes. But as Christianity came to this continent, the powers of darkness declined. Yet as Christianity is now receding, we have seen an increase in wickedness of all sorts. Just recently, there was a well-known, at least well-known in some circles, not in my own thinking, but someone who at least was known in some news outlets 
who spoke of her on occasion, she and her boyfriend drinking one another's blood, not for health benefits, but for ritual purposes. Does that ring a bell? What, what type of rituals are pe do people partake in? Magic has always been with us. Whether you serve Yahweh or whether you serve another, the spiritual realm today is as active as it ever was. The word magic has the same Indo-European root of mag, M-A-G-H. That means, that root means to have power. The desire for power over others is an old one, as old as the serpent in the garden. He can cast a mighty spell, and he did. And here we even have to consider what the word spell means. The word spell is actually from Old English, and it means in its original form, to talk, to declare, to enchant, or to tell a story. That is a spell. And we still have that today. When you spell a word, what are you doing? You're taking the letters, you're putting them together, and you're forming something, right? You are forming a word that communicates a symbol. Not just a symbol, it communicates something that's real. When you spell apple, you don't think just of the letters A-P-P-L-E. You think of an apple. The story that the serpent told was that man and woman could be as God, to change who they were and become what they wanted to be apart from Yahweh. In trying to change reality to fit their immediate desires, though, they were enslaved. Changing things is not bad. Yahweh commissioned Adam to have children and take dominion over the land. But the change to which God requires, excuse me, which God calls us, requires patience. It means gradually growing in wisdom and virtue while foregoing all the immediate opportunities to grasp at what you want without having to go through the difficult part. We don't like the difficult way. So we naturally go towards the easy way, the quick way, the one that requires no patience, where you can take what you want but that, brothers and sisters, is the path to hell. Why would an average Israelite use sorcery, wizardry, or astrology to get something? And by the way, when I say astrology, don't think of, you know, that the Israel, an Israelite would go, they would quietly consult the horoscope page and see, all right, so this is a day to maybe ask this person on a date that I've been wanting to for a while. No, that, that's not the type of astrology they're talking about. Their astrology was consulting the gods who ruled the planets and the stars to cause change so that they could get something they want. That was their astrology. Why would, why would they do that? Why would these commands be in Leviticus? Because it was the quick way to get what you wanted. 
It's much easier to get someone to do what you want that person to do through deception, through control, through oppression. And especially if you can control them while making them think it's for their own good. It's a lot easier to get things that way than it is through love, through participation with someone else, through building a relationship. But if you read further in Leviticus 19 and 20, I'm sure you notice there's plenty that we skipped over. But Leviticus 19 and 20 connects dark magic with adultery, fornication, and similar sins. Why? Because they both sow chaos in society. They disrupt godly dominion and they destroy the family. And it's especially the destruction of the family that is the intent. The commands in chapter 19, verse 26, they begin by restricting the use of blood, which belongs to God. We've read before in Leviticus that the blood is the Lord's. It's the place where the life is. Often, though, people in pagan practices would drink blood in order to gain the strength, to gain the life of the one who had given it. Shaving your head, cutting your beard, cutting your flesh, getting a tattoo, those other commands that we read that they were restricted, they were all acts of marking yourself as belonging to a god or goddess. You would pledge something of yourself to that being, and in turn, they would give you something or help you get to attain something you wanted. But then there's a switch. We did not read it, but verse 29 says, Do not prostitute your daughter. This is another pagan practice that, connect, that would connect you with other gods. It would give you a degree of status. You would give your child up, and in turn, you would receive good things. The rest of the practices in chapter 19, verses 31 to 37 all have to do with a common thread is taking advantage of your power, of your strength over one who is weaker. When you assert your strength for the purpose of domination or oppression, that's magic by another name. That's the evil magic by another name. Then we come to chapter 20, where the sin of giving your children to the fire of Molech is condemned. Now this is, again for us, it's so far beyond our comprehension. Why would a parent do something like this? How could you? Well, remember Saul? Remember the story of Saul? When Saul was told to make a sacrifice or excuse me, he was going to go to battle and he was supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel. But he didn't want to wait because he said, I'm going to lose all the people. They're going to scatter from me. So I'm going to go ahead and, under, he does not say this, but disobey, offer the sacrifice myself. I'm going to take what's not mine, but I'm going to do it anyway in order to accomplish what is needed. 
in order to gain victory here. And what did Samuel do? He condemned Saul for that action. Well, if you did not have something, let's say your crops were dry. Let's say that you were about to face an enemy. You heard that, that, that raiding bands were coming and you may lose your home. You may lose your, you know, and not just yours, but your neighbors as well. Lose your life. And you hear a pagan neighbor say, if you will give your oldest son to the fire, Baal will protect you. The bands are coming. They're going to wipe. They're going to they're kill us all unless you give up your son. Now we say, well, of course not. I wouldn't. But when you live in a place where everybody else is doing this, I'm not saying that you would be tempted. I'm just saying it's a totally different situation. But let me ask you this. Do we give up our children for conveniences today? Do we as a society give up children? Do we abort children with abandon? Not, I mean, not even having to do, not that it makes it right, but not, not having anything to do with saving anybody's life. But as the common lie is or the common spell is right now to enhance the quality of a mother's life. Or in the case of some men who encourage their wives or their, their girlfriends usually, they don't want to have to pay the extra that it will cost. Do we do this? This happens. Still, it happens. The, but when you start small, we can start small by giving up something that it's not, it's not one of our kids, it's something else. Maybe it's a little bit of your virtue in order to get a job promotion that you really want. Fill in the blank. But when you start small, then the enemy just asks for a little bit more next time, and then a little bit more, and then eventually... No sacrifice is too small in order to get what you want. Satan has been at war with the seed of the woman for a long time. If he can convince us to sacrifice our children for our own benefit, he does not have to worry about us exercising dominion. When you read further in Leviticus 20, you see a further connection between sorcery and the destruction of families. You, you see commands like, do not curse your parents. Again, these things can seem totally off the wall. How do you go from no wizardry, no sorcery, no, don't offer your kids to Moloch, and then don't curse your parents? You say, How does it, what does this have to do with one another? Well, it all has to do with creating destruction and dissension within the family. That's the goal. It's always been the goal. We see commands to, after not cursing your parents, extended commands against adultery, fornications, and other similar sins. Each sin introduces chaos 
to the family. It divides us from one another, and it ends with deformation and destruction. No one comes into life saying, I want to sacrifice everybody else's good for mine. I say nobody does. Nobody usually is so audacious as to actually just put that out there. But that's the path that is before us. The enemy's spells are strong. His enticing lures and mesmerizing words still divide and destroy. As science has given us more and more powerful tools, the ability to please ourselves or to assert power over others grows. C.S. Lewis said this in The Abolition of Man, There is something which unites magic and applied science while separating both from the wisdom of earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. The solution is a technique, and both in the practice of this technique are ready to do things hitherto regarded as disgusting and impious. So Lewis contrasts two different types of wisdom. One is we conform our soul to reality through knowledge, through self-discipline and virtue. But on the other hand, the desire is to subdue reality to our wishes. So we don't want the imposition of God's order. We want to assert our own. That's why right now you can't claim anything is absolute. Nothing. It's all up for grabs. There's nothing that you can say with authority that someone somewhere will not say, beg to differ, bigot. It happens. That's why the answer is not to fight the enemy on his own turf. It's not seeking rival oppression. You see, there is more than one type of magic at play. Just as our enemy has spells, so too does our heavenly Father. Yahweh's magic is greater and His spells more powerful. Though our enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came to give life, to reestablish the dominion our father Adam gave up. He does this through the gospel. Can I tell you a secret? Just keep it between, you know, all of us, okay? The word gospel is just the modern equivalent of an old English word, good spell. Good news. That's what the gospel is. It is the good News. Jesus faced greater temptation than Adam, culminating in another garden where the promise of escaping his torturous death was presented 
and manfully resisted. On the cross, the darkest magic of dragons, demons, and men was unleashed. The Son of Man was crucified, and death conquered, but a deeper magic was at work. The resurrection revealed that no power can overcome the perfect wisdom of God. And now, all who follow Christ are in the process of being supernaturally restored. We live in a world that is charged with the supernatural. You will be changed. Everyone in this room will be changed one way or another, either through the dark magic of the enemy or through the deeper magic of God Almighty. The enemy's spells seem to work faster, but they divide, destroy, and enslave. Just read the story of Dr. Faustus. It's a really excellent, short example of what happens when you give your soul in order to get what you want. The eternal wisdom of God, the deeper magic that raised Christ from the dead, is even now accomplishing his plan through his people. Walking in Yahweh's wisdom, that is, the deeper magic, means pursuing the glorification of God's world within the limits he presents otherwise known as taking dominion. This is what separates God's people from everyone else. Living according to the gospel or the good spell is the true path towards dominion. God works in this, this wonderful upside-down way where as we submit ourselves to him, he works through us. When we submit, he liberates. Whereas when we assert control, we ourselves are enslaved. It doesn't make sense to our fallen minds. That's why we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is itself a supernatural act given by the God-breathed word as we receive it and meditate on it. When we submit to God, resist the devil, and seek his kingdom in all we do, we are participants in transforming our surroundings while also being transformed into his likeness. So the call is simple. Learn to walk in the deep magic in the eternal wisdom of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for delivering us from the power of darkness and bringing us into your army of light. Thank you for healing us, for reforming and restoring us. And we pray that you would continue this work throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.